This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are into the postseason. Uh, the Arizona Fall League getting underway. Plenty to talk about today. We'll talk about uh, some rookies in the postseason. Uh, a handful of them shining brightly on the big stage. Uh, our all-rookie team for 2021 is out. We'll discuss that a little bit. We have a very special interview with uh, one of the game's uh, top-ranked prospects in Tigers corner infielder Spencer Torkelson. He's headed to the Arizona Fall League. He's at the Arizona Fall League. We'll talk to him. And uh, he's not exactly a, a Arizona Fall League sleeper prospect, uh, but we are going to talk about some potential sleeper prospects in the Fall League. And we'll wrap up by answering some questions in the mailbag. Jim and Jonathan, uh, we have ranked this year's rookies in uh, about every way possible now. We rank them based on... This year's performance, we ranked the top, uh, what did we do? How many did we rank in that one? I'm, I know Jim ranked the top 30 based on long-term performance. I think uh, we had 10 in terms of rookie power rankings in the final. Yep, and now we have yeah. our all-rookie team. So there's obviously quite a bit of crossover here. Um, but this team, uh, I think, is relatively interesting in that there is a pretty good mix of guys who going into the season you would have expected to be on the team um, and then a handful of guys uh, that you never would have guessed. Uh, Looking at the first team, there are eight players who were on the uh, preseason top 100 prospects list led by number one overall Wander Franco, uh, number 13 Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, Number 18, Ian Anderson of the Braves. Um, and then a handful of guys. Well, Randy Rosarina, who was number 34. Uh, 33 spots too low. It's certainly a lot of conversation about that heading into the season. <laughs> and uh, then a handful of guys who were toward the bottom uh, quarter of the rank of the top 100 list. Ryan Mountcastle, Shane McClanahan, Bobby Dahlbeck, Tyler Stevenson. They're all on the first team. Uh, but they're joined by guys who were not on the top 100 prospects list, some that weren't even on their team's top 30 prospects list. Jonathan India, Patrick Wisdom, Adolis Garcia, Trevor Rogers, Luis Garcia, Alec Manoa, Garrett Whitlock, and Emmanuel Classe. And guys, um, well, first of all, Jonathan, you put this team together. And there's also, by the way, a second team. Um, but you put this list together uh, primarily with some input. Uh, from the rest of the team, but your your impressions as you did uh, assemble these uh, first and second team all rookie teams. Yeah, I think you know one of the things when we were doing the rookie power rankings is that you know a lot of these guys, you as you as you said, 
were expected to do well. Some did well, some didn't, but no one really like had jumped out and been like transcendent. You know, I mean, Wander Franco, had he been up longer and not gotten hurt maybe. Uh, but you know, Jonathan India was at the top of that list and he was good, very good, but not extraordinary. What I found, especially when I was doing the the second team in certain positions, not all is that it was deep. You know, I, I think there were, you know, a lot more solid performers, especially pitching wise. I think, you know, a couple of the positions were a little bit tough. You know, we Brian Hayes is the second team third baseman and he didn't have a particularly exciting year and was hurt most of the year. So I think that I was pleased, you know, there were a lot of pitching uh, possibilities for the second team. Probably could have done a, you know, another round, uh, a lot of relievers. Um, I'm looking on Twitter as we're talking, we're already getting, you know, the, the angry tweets from Tigers fans. Cause I had to kill Badu and Casey Mize in the and second ha- team. I mean, you, you hate the Tigers clearly, Jonathan. You, 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 I, you I recognize the Tigers. That's them, right. They all, but how dare you not put any of them on the first team? That's correct. And then I got a we got a sarcastic comment. Oh, so you have heard of Ryan Mountcastle. Um, so, so that's good. And then of course, someone's saying if wisdom and, and Schwindel aren't on here, then it's invalid. I love when people say things like that without actually looking at the story first. That's always fun. Um, so it, uh, you know, we were doing that. We have sliced up the rookie class pretty much every way possible, but people love this stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it was fun to, to sort of put together a, a lineup card, so to speak, based on, on all the things that we've been talking about. And, and this was not a long-term value look like Jim did. This was just based well, on and the I think performance we found, like, I mean, no matter what any, I mean, and it's not just us, but, it, but anytime you rank anything, if you don't rank somebody's personal favorite, or in the case of something sports related, someone on their team at the top, then you're an idiot. Um, is just the way it works out. I mean, the interesting thing to me, you know, when you do these uh, teams and, uh, and, and wow, I had not noticed a snazzy new Jonathan Mayo beat report graphic um, uh, with this story. Wow. I did yes. not get that, that full treatment last week when I, when I did the beat report. So everybody check, check that out. But like the most interesting guys to me on this team <laughs> were the guys you didn't see coming at all. You know, Patrick wisdom, uh, you know, one of many reminders that I'm old is that I can remember Patrick Wisdom when he was like an intriguing, you know, one of the more interesting, you know, non-true first round picks. He was a sandwich pick back when there were like 30 sandwich picks, uh, you know, but that was 2012. That was almost 10 years ago when uh, when he was kind of like the intriguing guy from I want to say it was St. Mary's. And, you know, here he makes a rookie team, you know, crazy year in which he hits 28 homers in 106 games, but also had about a 40% strikeout rate. So, but, you know, it, you know, broke Chris Bryant's, you know, rookie home run record for the Cubs. And, and then, I mean, I remember at the beginning of the season, I think Jonathan, you were off and Sam Dykstra and I were podcasting and Jason, you might've been off. It might've just been me and Sam. And we were talking about Adelise Garcia and, I think we talked about him two or three podcasts in a row. One, I mean, I wouldn't have ranked him, but I guess he was eligible. Like we, we, we were, we never ranked him even when he was a big money signee originally. And he probably should have been, I guess we misapplied our rules, 
And I mean, this is a guy who was designated for assignment and removed for the 40-man roster. And then a couple weeks in the season, the Rangers turn to him and he, and he takes off. Um, you know, so, so those were the two guys who, who, who I think interested me, uh, you know, or just, I, I would never have seen those guys coming. And, and your Schwindel for you, Jonathan, as you noted, was a second teamer. Um, you know, Frank Schwindel also, you know, 29 before he got a chance to play. And then he was one of the best hitters in, in baseball right. over the final two months of the season. So, you know, Jonathan, you are an idiot for not recognizing that, that Frank Schwindel should have ranked much higher and, and been on the first team with his 962 ops and 64 games. If, you know, if he had played, if he had played more than 64 games, you know what? He, he, he might have, you know, the, the numbers were, were better, right. than than the others, he just didn't do it for long enough. So that's the, that's what left him on the second team. And Jim, regarding Garcia and that, uh, potential misapplication of our rules. I don't think that's what happened because I think we've gone back and looked at this a few times and there was something, something strange with uh, the timing of when he signed and how old he was when he signed. But when, when he signed, I think the rules were such that uh, he was too old to qualify um, for prospect status. And that's why he never got ranked. See, I thought it was 25 or younger though. Yeah. But that, that changed. It, you, wasn't it 23 at one point? Yes. Yeah, but he signed in 2017, right? It was it, it was something about the timing and he was just on the wrong side of the fence. We we triple checked this because this has come up it came up many many times. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we triple confirmed that he should not have been ranked. And Jonathan, you talked about the depth of pitching. Uh look at the second team pitching staff. Uh Casey Mize, uh, Scooble uh, Tristan McKenzie, Michael Kopech, all of them, uh, well, nearly in the top 50 uh, in our preseason top 100 prospects list. McKenzie was 51. Um, and then, you know, Tanner Houck, James Caprillion, a couple other guys. Caprillion, I believe, was a top 100 prospect a couple few years ago. Uh, but that's a pretty solid batch right there. No, it was good. And, and they had kind of uneven years. You know, if people look at some of the the more standard stats for them, they may be a little surprised, you know, you know, Tristan McKenzie's ERA was inflated and things like that, but all of those guys were, you know, were really tough to hit. You know, they, they struck, they missed a lot of bats. Uh, they, they had low batting average against, I mean, they, they did a lot of things that were, uh, were very good. And I think point to uh, the, the chance for them to, to have very successful futures, you know, of that group, the one who was probably like the quote unquote least dominant was Mize. I mean, he, he didn't miss as many bats, um, but he did a lot of other things the, and he was durable and, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's, uh, you know, um, and then I went back and forth between him and Ian Anderson, you know, first team, second team. And I think they're, you know, we're close to interchangeable. They, you know, they, they each brought different things to the, to the table, but uh, you know, there were some guys there who, were were dominant at times over the course of their rookie years, and I think a lot of those guys have a chance to take large steps forward uh, based on on how tough they were to hit this year. And Ian Anderson's uh, postseason first postseason start not taken into consideration no. when putting together this all rookie team. Uh, but segue, my goodness, <laughs> how good has he been again? Um, and, and we're, we're seeing kind of an instant replay of last year's postseason with Anderson and Rosarina and Jonathan, we were 
talking yesterday and I said, you know, these guys have both had what could be considered fantastic postseason careers, put up, you know, numbers that a lot of people would be happy with for a postseason career, and they're still rookies. Yeah, it's kind of crap. I mean, last year was such a weird year where, you know, they were rookies and they were going to be rookies this year uh, and even got rookie of the year votes and then, you know, came out and, and did what they did. Uh, but, you know, Ian Anderson has been absolutely ridiculous in the postseason when he's now has a 0.76 earned run average in five postseason starts already. And he's what, 23? Um, I don't, I didn't check his birthday. Did he turn 24 yet? No, he is 23. Um, I think the thing that's really the most impressive is the, the one thing that I think has sort of held him back a little bit and his major league career is still in its nascent stages is, is command. I think Jim, you mentioned that in, in your long-term value story. That's, you know, and this was a guy who coming out of the draft was a guy who like had a really good feel for pitching. That's been a little bit of a surprise to me, but, he has been, uh, for the most part, uh, really good. Uh, and you know, and his his division series start. I mean, yesterday was five innings, and he didn't walk a batter. Um, three hit six strikeouts. So you know, he has been really uh, looking like the kind of frontline starter that, that the Braves thought they were getting when they when they drafted him. You know, number three overall in his draft class. And I think the I think that command is going to continue to uh, to come. I don't know that he's ever going to be the plus control guy that I thought he might be coming out of high school. But uh, what he's done in the postseason uh, has 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 been absolutely incredible. And Randy Rosarina, uh, you know, it's a shame that they're done now because I would love to see him build upon that very impressive playoff resume. Yeah. 3-0, 0 0.76 ERA in 23 and two-thirds innings pitched, 14 hits, 10 walks, and 30 strikeouts in uh, Ian Anderson's early postseason career. Um, looking forward to seeing more out of him. And, of course, you, you mentioned Randy Rosarina. He and uh, Wander Franco with the Rays, um, you, know, you knew what Randy could do on the big stage based on last year. Um, he didn't have, um, he didn't, he, I don't, it, it's funny because he, what, he had a 2020 season and was our, our pick for American league, uh, rookie of the year, but still at that felt like it's hard to say he underperformed, but he, he didn't explode. Like you might've thought he would after last season's, uh, post season. Um, but you knew what he could do. And Wander Franco, I think did you guys feel like he wasn't going to be uh, scared on that, on that big stage. He can just hit. I mean, and I think he knows it. And so I don't think he's bothered by anything. I, I thought he was the Rays most, you know, dangerous hitter, you know, even more so than a arena in that series. Like he was the guy, I, I think the Red Sox probably feared more than anybody when he came up in a, in a big spot. I mean, I, I'm excited to see, what a Rosarena can do in a full season. I'm mean, not getting my guys confused. What Franco can do, what Franco could do in a full season next year, because, you know, we talked about this, you know, when, when Vlad Guerrero came up, 
you know, when Vlad Jr. came up, you know, he didn't tear it up and people were like, oh, geez, you know, this guy's supposed to be the second coming. And, you know, now, you know, you fast forward two years and, and you know, he's going to finish first or second in the American League Most Valuable Player voting. You know, Franco came out and was, you know, after a month to adjust, was, you know, one of the better hitters in the American League right away. So I'm not I'm not doing not giving you a hot take here, but I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that Wander Franco's American League MVP next year. I, I just think he's that talented of a player. He's already, you know, set the on-base record, you know, consecutive on-base streak for a player 20 or younger. Uh, you know, and then he comes in the postseason, and he's, you know, obviously small sample size, but played great. Um, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's your American League MVP next year. You heard it here. Jim Callis just said Wander Franco is better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He was. He was better. He was better. At, in his rookie season, it was granted a little bit shorter, but I mean, you, you and I've even talked about, I think, geez, Jonathan, I can't remember the last time we were actually at the MLB Network studio to do a top 100 show, but Greg Amsinger asked us, like we were talking about, you know, Franco and Guerrero, like who was better. And we both said it's probably Franco because he's, you know, going to be, you know, maybe not quite the same power, but very comparable hitter, and he can beat you in more ways and do more things athletically. This postseason, uh, to this point, after the Rays were eliminated, Juan Franco with 15 total bases, second only to Kike Hernandez. Uh, Wander with seven hits and 19 plate appearances, a 1.158 OPS, and uh, certainly a uh, very impressive showing for him right off the bat in the postseason. All right, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we will have an interview with Tigers' top prospect, Spencer Torkelson. That's coming up right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm very pleased to welcome in uh, one of the best prospects in all of baseball and the highest ranked prospects who is participating in the Arizona Fall League this year. And that, of course, is Spencer Torkelson of the Detroit Tigers. Spencer, thank you so much for, for taking some time to speak with me today. Of course. It's good to see you. It's good to see you uh, as well. I wanted to let's start with the Arizona Fall League because I know it's sort of a homecoming for you after your college days at Arizona State. Uh, uh, you, as we're recording this, you're just getting settled in, being back there. I mean, it, it, does it feel like a homecoming? Is it is it strange? Like, how much are you looking forward to kind of being back in your own old stomping grounds? You know, I'm really looking forward to to playing in Arizona again and um, going to school here. I almost took for granted how great it was, you know, how great the atmosphere and the energy and just um, there's a lot of great and fun things to do. And then obviously I have a lot of friends out here and my family loves to visit. 
And I actually just got a place in Arizona as well. So it's nice to call this place my home and I'm fortunate to, to call this place home. And what did it mean to you, you know, when the Tigers asked you to participate in, in the AFL? I'm sure you've heard about, uh, you know, what a breeding ground for success it is, but you've also had, you know, a, a long full season, uh, really your, your first, your first real full season. Uh, so, you know, what, what was your reaction when they asked you to, to go and play? You know, I was really excited. You know, I've always heard, I've always seen guys that played in the Arizona Fall League as, you know, um, I remember when Gavin Lux played in the Fall League, he, uh, he came by our practice and everyone's like, oh, he's in the Fall League. And so, um, you know, it's, I know it's a big deal and it's, it's, uh, it's going to be good baseball. And, you know, today was our first workout and I met most of the guys on my team and everyone's, everyone's awesome. A lot of great people, obviously great players. And, uh, you know, I have had a long season, but, uh, my body still feels pretty good. And, um, you know, the way I look at it is next year, you know, my goal is to play 162 games and beyond. And for that to happen, you know, I think playing an extra 20 to 30 games in the fall league is, uh, can only help. Beyond sort of, you know, working on that, that stamina piece, we are, are there things that you're particularly looking, you know, looking forward to, to working on while, while you're out there or the things that you learned, you know, along your, uh, multiple stops this year that you are like, all right, now that I've sort of been at each of the upper levels, here's what I think I need to, to do so that when that, that call comes to Detroit, you're ready. Yeah, I think there's I don't think there's one specific thing in my game that I'm like, oh, I need to get get better at that. You know, I'm always trying to improve my game in all facets, whether it's in the batter's box or in the field or even base running, you know, because uh, all all three of those things are going to win us baseball games in the future. And um, so I think I'm really just trying to improve my baseball IQ just and play more baseball because that makes you better. And obviously play with uh, a bunch of other great players and, you know, build relationships with guys on other teams that are going to be in the big leagues for a long time as well. Are there guys who are going to be there that you either played against this year or, you know, maybe you're at the futures game with, or, or haven't seen, but you've heard about that you're really excited to, to, to see in action and whether it's pick their brains or just watch how they go about what they do. Yeah. I mean, there's not one guy in particular, but it's, my whole team, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're great guys, but you know, on the baseball field, you know, they're, they're very good and they know what they're doing. And, um, it's, it's going to be really fun to kind of pick their brains and talk to them, see how they go about their routine and what they do in the cage or just what works for them, because I'm, I'm not a finished product. They're not a finished product. And we can all look at each other and be like, take maybe take one or two things from someone else that can improve my game and um and just go about it that way you probably haven't had a ton of time to kind of look back and reflect on on what was kind of a whirlwind three levels the futures game um you know people talk about that move from high a to double a is often kind of the biggest leap you did not have too much difficulty uh, making making that jump. What were some of the differences that you saw though between the time you had an A ball, however you know as brief as it was, and what you saw uh, in terms of pitching and, and and opponents and competition in double and triple A? 
You know, I think all three levels um, are good and they were tough and uh, they're a lot of fun to play in. But I think the biggest difference that I could really see is just maturity in guys' stuff. And um, in high A, you're playing with first year, second year guys. And then in double A and triple A, you're playing with guys that have been around minor league baseball, some cups of coffee in the big leagues. And they know what they're doing, and um, you really got to game plan and stick to your own approach. Uh, I know in the batter's box, no matter what the pitcher is trying to do to you, you have that subconsciously. You know, he's going to try to throw some some fastballs in, get you off the slider away, and kind of just mix up the timing, mix up your um, your your timing and approach at the plate. But I've realized that the great hitters in this game aren't looking to hit that guy's nasty slider. You know, they're not looking to hit that fastball black in on the plate. That'll happen naturally just because you're a good hitter, but the great hitters stick to their approach and hit the mistake and they don't, they don't miss the mistake. I know. I also noticed that um, there's fewer mistakes, you know, and in high A you get, one, two, three mistakes in that bat, and you have a little more forgiveness in a bat. And then double A, you get one or two, two mistakes in that bat. And then you, in triple A, it was, uh, you would some, sometimes if you're facing a really good arm, you, you wouldn't get anything. You know, they'd make you hit their pitch, and you got to realize what they're trying to do to you. And uh, sometimes taking that single the other way was, was the best option instead of going for uh, damage. Um, but, I think that was one of the bigger jumps is just less mistakes in that bats. And, you know, if you missed a cookie early in the at bat, you're like, you're kind of kicking yourself like, damn, I'm going to have to grind this at bat out now because this guy, I let him get away with one. And now he's, uh, he's going to lock it back in. I would imagine, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably saw fewer fastballs as you moved up too. I mean, people knew who you were in, uh, in, in high A, but, you know, you start to build that resume, top pick, things like that. But you, the guy, the pitching you faced, the secondary stuff is always better. And you said that they don't miss with it as much. Did you find that you were getting, not only were there fewer mistakes, but you just weren't getting as many fastballs to feast on that you that you were when you were with West Michigan? No doubt. Um, you know, in West Michigan and a little bit in Erie, you know, guys are trying to still find that command with their fastball. And they know to get to the next level, they're going to have to, command that fastball and the secondary stuff obviously is is good at every level but it definitely jumped from level to level and then so it took me a little bit in AAA to learn this just because you know I'm always hunting the heater but in some cases um, guys you got to realize guys are going to show you a fastball just to get you excited about it like that fastball in and then that's just a show pitch. That's literally just a setup pitch. And then they're going to go off speed, off speed, off speed. And then if they fall behind, they're going to, they don't care if they walk you three, one, you know, they, they rather walk you on a fastball buzzes you off the plate in, than leave it over the plate for, for a home run or extra bases. So um, it also, it, my approach just developed even more. And I came became more of a mature hitter um, at AAA, just realizing what guys are trying to do to me and um, not letting it get off my approach. 
you know, it'd be easy to spend this entire time just talking about your offense and your approach and your hitting, but uh, don't want to leave the defense completely out, out the window. And you're a guy who, you know, you, you played uh, more first than anything else uh, at ASU. And then uh, I know you were eager to show that you could play third and you played a bunch of third this year, and then you played a, a bunch of first. Um, where, where do you feel you are in terms of, of your defense uh, and understanding that maybe having some, positional flexibility, you know, isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing. AJ Hinch really, you know, prides his teams on, he likes having players that are defensively versatile and can play multiple positions because he wants to put the best lineup out there. And if the best lineup is me at first or me at third, it, it opens up a lot of room for other guys that can um, play at other positions as well. But um I'm really happy with how I did defensively. I, I felt comfortable at third base. I put in a lot of work over there uh, between alternate site last year to spring training and to the season. Um, I'm happy with what I did. And then um, once I got to AAA, they started only – I was only in the lineup at first base. And uh, it was a funny story. Tom Prince came up to me. He's like – it was like three weeks into AAA. He's like, are you ever going to ask me why you're only playing first now? I was like, I mean – not really. Like I, this is where I fit and this is where I'm going to play here. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. I obviously still took ground balls at third a little bit, but um, it pretty much told me, he's like, you know, we like you at first base and you look, you look comfortable and good over here. And um, you know, we're, this is where you're going to play here and uh, we'll see what, what happens, but I'm comfortable everywhere. And uh, but first base obviously was like riding a bike, you know, I played it. 98% of games in college at first base. Have they given you any indication what, what it's going to look like in the AFL? Are you going to get time at both spots? I don't know. I know today I took ground balls at first, um, but uh, I'm, I'm open to whatever. If they need, if, if someone uh, is down or, and they need a third baseman, I'm more than happy to play third. If they need a shortstop, you know, I'll be out there, but, um, first base is where I am right now. I was going to say, I'm going to start a, a rumor now. It's, you know, Spencer Torkelson willing to catch an Arizona Fall League. Yeah. <laughs> no, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair I can't enough. catch. We'll, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, I got to we'll save the legs. We'll stick to the infield corners. I think those are probably, yeah. The, uh, best. Um, you know, one of the guys that you're there in Arizona with uh, is Riley Green, who you've kind of been on this ride with for much of this year, went to the future game together. Uh, you've gotten you know the best seat, uh, you know, to see what he can do uh, on both sides of the ball. How much fun has it been to to watch a player as talented as him, and also to have someone kind of going through the the same process and getting to that sort of yeah. knocking on the big league door at the same time. You know, Riley's an absolute stud, uh, whether it's in the batter's box. Um, or in the outfield, but he's also a great person too. And, you know, I really admire our, our friendship and uh, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to know him and be teammates with them and be on this ride with them. And, you know, it's, it is special to go to the field every day and watch him play because I was actually talking with uh, Michael Toglia today. He's on my uh, fall league team and he's like, dude, that guy is, you were talking about Riley. He's like, he's just so, natural in what he does you know like he just his his hit tool is bat to ball skills is through the roof some of the best i've ever seen 
and then he's only 20. He just turned 21. So um, he can hit for power too. I mean, he has crazy juice if he tries to hit home run, but he tries to hit, and, you know, he knows that home runs come from good approaches and uh, you know, he's, he's really fun to watch and really fun to hit behind. Now, do you have any uh, friendly wager over who's going to get to Detroit first? Is it something you guys push each other to, to try to see who, who gets the first call? You know, uh, we don't, we don't do anything like that, but I know that both of us are really looking forward to being on the same team and uh, for a long time and, and put playing winning baseball together because uh, you know, that's what it's all about. It's playoff time. So we need to get, you know, your thoughts on, on the MLB postseason. Uh, you know, as we're recording this, the, the division series are kind of just getting going, but who, uh, who do you have? Who's going to win it all? You know, I like, I like a lot of the teams. It's, it's so much fun to watch um, playoff baseball. It's, if I were to like convince like a guy who loves soccer to to like baseball, I would make them watch postseason baseball because there's nothing better. And um, in over the 162 games, guys like they play hard, but they're also playing to save up energy t- for the postseason. And to see guys with that much talent and that much skill and in what they do play as hard as they can to win a World Series is there's nothing better to watch. And it's Honestly, I don't have a favorite team in the postseason. My favorite team is the Tigers, but um, I'm rooting for I'm rooting for like a, an underdog team. You know, I I was really going for the Cardinals, honestly, but that was a tough loss. I like the Red Sox just because they uh, they have a great team, but at the start of the season, I didn't think uh, teams had them in the postseason or people had them in the postseason. So I like I like teams like that. Just uh, just to root for the the guys that play with maybe a little extra chip on their shoulder, but obviously I'll, I'll root for the giants. Cause that's my uh, home team as well in Northern California. And uh, maybe an AL central, with the white Sox, just to. You cover all your bases. Respect. Yeah. I like everyone. I told you. No, it's a big, you're like me. Like, I like, I root for five or seven game series every single time. Yep. Cause I just want yep. as much of it as, as you can get. Game seven. You can't beat it. You know, I'm kind of yeah. jealous of them. You know, I want to, I want to be in their shoes right now. I want to be playing them in October and playing for something. Well, that's what, that's what you're aiming for. Right. And you're hoping to get to back, uh, back there. No doubt. All right. My last question for you, you know, I think, you know, we saw each other at the futures game and uh, I don't, you know, you know, that, I'm sure that was an incredible experience, but uh, I want in all honesty for you to uh, tell people, especially my co-host Jim Callis, how much motivation did it give you for your second half knowing that you helped me trounce him in our futures game home run derby? <laughs> you know, I, I saw that I was tagged in something on Twitter about a home run, like an unofficial home run derby. And I was like, damn, like how'd they know I was going to try to hit a bunch of home runs out of Coors Field? Because, you know, uh, I grew up, I went to a couple games at Coors Field and everyone talks about how the ball flies. I'm like, so I was really, really looking forward to, to seeing what it's all about. And uh, I was definitely up there, you know, obviously trying to get ready for the game, but I was like, I don't know when the Tigers come to Denver. So might as well make the most of this opportunity right now. So um, I'm glad I could, I could help your team out and, and pull out the, the W and the unofficial home run derby, but I, uh, it was fun. 
Thanks very much to Spencer Torkelson for joining us here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Uh, great to have an opportunity to talk to him as the Arizona Fall League season is getting underway and uh, the highest ranked prospect in the Arizona Fall League this year. Uh, you know, guys, something I thought was interesting in uh, in your chat with him, Jonathan, was you know just how much of a, a sponge he seems to be. And I, I don't know if necessarily say a student of the game. I don't, I don't know about that, but just from listening to him and the, you know, what he's looking forward to and um, him talking about his approach um, and things that he learned over the course of this season, uh, seems like he is uh, a pretty cerebral hitter. Yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, I know that I could have spent hours just breaking down hitting and the differences that he saw at each level. And it wasn't just a, Oh, the pitchers are better. You know, it was how he was being pitched and understanding what good hitters do, you know, and the pitches that they hit. Like he already has an understanding of what it takes to be a big league hitter. You know, whether he he's there yet, you know, we'll have to wait and, and see. Uh, it was clear to me that he knows he has some things he still needs to work on and he was excited to to keep going. Like, I think that he loves to hit and he loves to talk hitting. And he loves to learn about hitting and all those things point to, to a guy who is going to hit really well for a very, very long time. I, I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that, that conversation w- with him. And I think, uh, you know, once he gets to the big leagues, people are really going to like talking to him about the, the, the art of hitting. Well, I think it's probably one of the reasons he's such a great hitter is it's not just natural ability. He knows what he's doing up there. And, and, and Jonathan, I noticed like you, 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 and you deserve to crow about the uh, futures <laughs> game home run derby, but you did not tell Spencer that I took him with the, I think it was the second overall pick in, in last week's AFL total base fantasy draft. So you, 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 you threw me under the bus both like uh, mission, like yes. Both I just ways, I, yes. I conveniently under yeah. the bus and didn't pull him back out. I did. I and did then over. forget that, and I could have. I could have thrown Jason under the bus for not, not taking. taking. Yeah, who'd you take with the number one? He pitch? took Riley Green. Well, I, well, I took, he it, took I his took teammate. His teammate. He couldn't complain about. Although, that. to be honest, after talking to Spencer Torkelson about Riley Green, I think Spencer Torkelson might have taken Riley Green. That'll that'll be uh, uh, something within the fantasy league to keep an eye on the. Uh, I, I think we should game. deputize Sam Dykstra, who is he heading to the fall league today, even perhaps He's there. So Sam should just grab Spencer Torkelson, Riley green and, and, and Marco Luciano and, and make them do their own fantasy total base draft. And then we could see who would pick who. <laughs> All right. We are going to take another break. And when we come back, we will discuss some potential sleeper prospects in the Arizona Fall League. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Arizona Fall League season is here. Uh, We're extremely excited about that. Uh, There are 17 top 100 prospects in the league this year, uh, four of the top seven overall. There is a story on MLBpipeline.com. It's uh, also on the Arizona Fall League website, MLB.com slash AFL. We'll get you there, where we look at the top uh, prospect that each team is sending to the Fall League. But right now we want to talk about some guys who are not on either of those lists, but guys that uh, Jim and Jonathan, you think could uh, be sleeper prospects in the Fall League this year. Uh, we'll have each of you take a hitter and a pitcher. Um, Jim, why don't you start with your pitcher? With my pitcher? Okay. That's like throwing Three me terrible. off. I, 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 I thought we were going hitter. I was I was all excited to talk hitter, but we can uh, we can we can definitely go pitcher. Yeah, and, speechless. Yeah, well, I, I was I was all I was ready to launch into uh, to my hitter. I'm not going to give away who it is, uh, but uh, I was is killing me. I was all prepared to talk about him, but no, it's all, so we'll go hit pitcher Owen white, who I really liked coming out of the 2018 draft, um, high school pitcher, super athletic guy, projectable showed the potential for three plus pitches. I don't know if you guys remember the Rangers made a concerted effort that year. They took Cole Wynn in the first round, Owen white in the second round. I think Mason Englert was their fourth round pick all high school pitchers. And they were in the Rangers, and I'm not knocking for this. We're like, okay, we're going to determine to keep these guys healthy. We're not going to have these guys pitch at all their first pro season. We're going to have them work on strength and conditioning and getting acclimated to pro ball. And, and just so they're prepared physically for the next season, 2019. And Owen White and Mason Engler both blew out during the spring and, and didn't we had Tommy John surgery before they made their pro debuts. So Owen White came back in instruction league last fall. He made his pro debut this year um, <laughs> in his first start of his career. He was frustrated with how it went and he slammed his glove hand. I'm sorry. He slammed he, his pitching hand on the ground in frustration and broke it. <laughs> so he missed three months, but he's back pitching again. Now he's, he was back 95, 97, his first game back. He's got arm side run. He's got a high spin curve. He's got feel for change up. He still is a really athletic six foot three, 199 pound frame. But between the Tommy John surgery and the broken hand and the COVID shutdown, I mean, here's a guy who was a second round pick in 2018 and he's pitched 35 innings in his pro career, you know, 56 strikeouts this year in those 35 innings, most of it in low A, but he just needs some experience. Um, But I mean, he's a guy who, if it all comes together, could be a frontline starter and, you know, he, ha- he has the pedigree. He just hasn't really been able to show what he can do, which is why I think he's flying way under the radar still. I mean, crazy to think, Jim, that a guy drafted in 2018, um, you know, should have three plus seasons under his belt. And like you said, only 35 and a third career innings pitched. He's number 29 on the Rangers top 30 prospects list. Um, be- before we go on with um, Jonathan's pitcher and both of your hitters, um, what was how did how did you determine what qualified as a sleeper prospect here? I think we agreed it was basically anybody who did not rank in the top ten of their of their yep. farm system. And although, like I have some organizations like the Indians, their highest ranked prospect was Jose Tenya at number twelve, and I didn't really consider him their sleeper prospect if he was 
their best also their highest That's fair. prospect. Okay, uh, Jonathan, hit us with your pitcher. Yeah, I also have a guy who missed time because of injury in the 2018 draft. He's Michael Burrows of the Pirates. He's their number 14 prospect. And Homer. honestly, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he may have moved himself uh, out of contention for sleeper prospect, although the Pirates system is so deep uh, that uh, cracking the top 10 is not as easy as it used to be. Uh, you know, a really interesting guy that they took in the 11th round. Uh, you know, a lot of teams have been using that 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 first or second pick on day three to go over slot. Uh, it was a Northeast guy uh, that they signed for $500,000. Didn't pitch a ton uh, right away, you know, in the Gulf Coast League, but he pitched well, moved up, you know, uh, a half a step to uh, the New York Penn League. Uh, may it rest in peace. Um, and pitched well there. Um, you know, needed to work on his command, but super young. And then, you know, they had the shutdown. This year, he, he moved up to high A and was throwing extremely well, um, but an oblique injury uh, kept him out, and he only made 13 starts, 49 innings, but he struck out 12 per nine. Uh, the command has gotten you know a tiny bit better, but the, that needs the most work, as does his changeup. But he's got you know, a fastball up to 96, a, a curve. Both of those pitches may be plus uh, eventually, uh, and he's you know, still only... 21 he turns 22 in early november um so this you know he'll get to make up for some lost innings and get himself ready for the upper levels of the pirate system so uh kind of you know a a guy almost sort of older you know previous regime pirates kind of high school draft pick that takes you know a little while to develop in this case injuries held him back but uh, you know, a really intriguing guy who I think could jump much more firmly onto prospect radar maps when he moves up to to Double A after his fall league season. He will be pitching for the Peoria Javelinas. Uh, Jonathan, your hitter is also from the Peoria Javelinas. Jim, I know you love the snake draft. Are we going? Are we going I mean, you, snake you here? Or are we all back to back Javelinas? Uh, yeah, I think I think Jonathan should also explain to everybody what a javelina is. It's a wild desert pig. That's <laughs> yep. pretty much it in a nutshell. A wild desert pig. I think it's technically a peccary, Jonathan. I don't know what that is. You just made that word up. No, no, no. I, just, I, I Googled it and it just <laughs> says, though some people think javelina are a type of wild pig, they're actually members of the peccary family. You you, you just set me up you, to fail there. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just, I was, I was looking, I wanted to see a picture of the javelina. So I Googled javelina and uh, I'm sorry. See, it's like, this is revenge for the Spencer Torkelson slate. <laughs> really now, now, you know, animal enthusiasts everywhere are just shaking their head going, Jonathan can't rank rookies and he cannot classify javelinas correct. correctly. It, 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 now the question is who hates me more? Orioles fans? Or animal enthusiasts. A peccary is a group of hoofed mammals originating from South America. All right. Uh, Jonathan, tell (laughs) tell us about your other javelina. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Yeah, Cade Marlowe from the Seattle Mariners uh, kind of worked his way into the top 30. This this guy was not on the radar at all. Uh, 20th round pick. Uh, in 2019 from the University of West Georgia. Can you name a big leaguer from the University of West Georgia, Jim Callis? 
Uh, I cannot. I was. I was. I thought you were going to ask me what their mascot was. And I, and I cannot. I cannot <laughs> no. answer that. Rick, Rick Camp is the most famous. Oh, there you go. West Georgia alum. Uh, so Marlowe was a 20th rounder, a senior sign, signed for five thousand dollars. So you know, this is not. This is a guy who's got to prove himself uh, at every stop. Uh, you know, he uh, he hit well during his pro debut in short season ball. Uh, and then during the off, you know, during the downtime, he he wasn't really anywhere, um, but he he added a lot of strength uh, and already had a pretty good approach, and uh, ended up, uh, I believe, he led the minor leagues and runs batted in with 107. He was one of that you know fairly large grouping of 2020 players. He had 26 homers and 24 steals, um, you know, but he started in low A, uh, got promoted to to high A. And then finished the year with uh, with a game in Triple A, uh, you know, just to to finish things off. But you know, he hit 20, uh, 20 homers in seventy one games uh, with High A Everett uh, this year. That's where most of the, his damage was done because he got bumped up pretty quickly when they realized that Low A was a little too easy for him. So uh, you know, I think this is going to be a good test for him. Uh, you know, as he gets ready for the upper levels for real, you know, he's 24 already, you know, so he was a little bit older. So I, you know, I don't know what he's going to be. There was some swing and miss, um, but uh, you know, he does control the strike zone. He draws walks, he can run, um, you know, so he's kind of one of these guys that has jumped onto the Mariners radar screen with the year that he's had. And the fall league will be a very good test and to get him ready to see if maybe he's, more than you know, kind of what you expect when you you take a a twentieth round senior sign, which is you're hoping you get like a a good organizational guy, and you know maybe the Mariners uh, have found more in that in Cade Marlowe. University of West Georgia Wolves. John Wolfie is the mascot. I do know what a wolf is, so at <laughs> least there's that. Okay, Jim, uh, your hitter. We, we've been waiting now for several minutes. Pins and needles. Who would know? It is it is Richard Palacios of the Indians, um, who I was. I was actually when you were talking, uh, I, so I was all prepared to, to talk about him. You know, and he's another guy who's been kind of derailed by injuries. He he was actually you know the highest profile of these guys coming out of the draft, a third round pick out of Towson. He set records for steals in a season and career, highest drafted player in school history back in 2018. Batted 361 in his pro debut, got to low A. Indians were really excited about him, and then he didn't play for two years. He had labrum surgery on his shoulder in March of 2019 and missed the whole season, um, and then there was no season last year. Um, he comes from big league family. Uh, Ray Palacios is his uncle. Josh Palacios is his brother, and he's you know kind of that classic leadoff profile. He makes contact. He gets on base. He can run. He's got plus speed, knows how to use it. You know, probably more, you know, let's say 12 to 15 home run guy, but he knows who he is. And, you know, he came back this year after not playing for two years, went straight to double A, hit 299, promoted him to triple A, hit 292, combined 404 on base percentage with 20 steals between the two stops. Um, he's played a lot of second base. Um but his arm is below average even before the shoulder surgery. He's not the smoothest infielder. I, a lot of scouts think he's more of an outfielder. He, he's played some time in center field. And, and given how much difficulty the Indians have had developing outfielders, I, I think he, he winds up playing in their outfield next year. And I, I think he's one of these guys who, um, you know, this, this is, you know, they call, you know, 
the AFL is baseball's finishing school. And this is, hey, you can get, you know, another, you know, 75 or so at bats against good pitching and, you know, get you that much more ready to, to help the big league club next year. I, I, I will, what I, I get Wander Franco, I, I said, could win the MVP. I, I'm going to throw, so throw Palacios out there as a sleeper rookie of the year pick for 2022. Wow. Big predictions from Jim. I'm not going to remember any of these, but uh, throw that one out there as well. All right. So there are four sleeper prospect picks for you for this year's Arizona Fall League. The Fall League getting underway this week. Uh, This is a bit of a sneak peek at a story that will be up uh, on MLB.com slash pipeline this week with one sleeper pick per organization. Um, All right. Let us wrap this up by answering a question from the mailbag and from our most frequent mailbag contributor, Stephen DeAlizio uh, at Stevie D. You think it's Stevie D. Yeah, it's Stevie D. Ailes, 97. Yeah. Um, we should just have him on the podcast at this point. He just asks us questions for an hour. That would be a good podcast. <laughs> be his, his question this week, and Jim, he may be, uh, Stephen, you may be creating work for Jim here. Uh, now that I look at this, he, he asks. I'm already, I've already done the work. Okay. How would you compare Wander Franco's postseason to that of previous rookies in the postseason, which had me look back to uh, Jim's story from last year when he ranked the 20 best rookie playoff performances ever? It was a bit controversial, I think. Really? It was hugely controversial. I got ripped because I had Randy Rosarena at number 11, and people were very upset. But in my defense, I, I looked at performance both statistically, but also what are you trying to do in the postseason? What is the goal when you're in the postseason? I believe it's to win. To win a championship. And so I gave credit to guys who uh, had, you know, played, I think everybody ahead of a Rosarena helped their team win the World Series in the end, including Jason's favorite, Duster Males from 2000, I mean, from 1920. And, and number one on the list was Charlie Keller, who, Randy Rosarena fans don't remember, but not only did he have a 1658 ops in the World Series back in 1939 when the playoffs were obviously just one round, he tripled and scored the winning run in game one, homered twice in game three, and homered and knocked out Hall of Fame catcher Ernie Lombardi on the decisive play in game four. So anyway, um, I, I did, because of this, uh, I, we, I knew with the question, it's not like you're springing this on me, I, I can put... Wander Franco's performance in context of, well, I'll give you Danny, Danny G's not here to rein me in. So I'm going to give you double quick quiz, double quick quiz, triple quick quiz. quiz. I'm going triple quick quiz. One. Okay. Wander Franco, 1158 ops in this postseason uh, for the Rays of all rookies who've had 15 or more plate appearances in a postseason. Where does that ops rank? I will say that that ranks eighth. John, Ninth. can you go higher or lower? Higher. Okay. Well, well, well I, I guess I should say you. So you'd say he ranks better than eighth, is what you're saying. Yes, okay. I'll say like seventh. Okay. Well, he, he is, is actually fifteenth. He comes in fifteenth. So that's that's quick quiz one. These are all hard. I don't expect you to get any of these. Two. So who the has the highest ops in a postseason? It was in my story from last year. I know. I, I, I don't I expect you to memorize it. Highest postseason ops for a rookie ever, 15 or more plate appearances. You know what, Jonathan? I He's do. an active player. Yeah, it's, it's Jorge Soler. 
Yeah, it is. Although, yes, it is. And I don't know if they mentioned that during the, any of the Braves broadcasts, but um, he had a crazy 2341 ops in the division series <laughs> and then slumped to 1250 in the championship series where they lost to the Mets on the 2015 Cubs. But yes, his 1705 ops is a rookie postseason record. Um, and then, then, then quick quiz three. So we know we've Randy Orozarena, as you guys may have heard, had a great postseason last year. He plays for the Rays. Wander Franco plays for the Rays. Wander Franco's postseason, only the third best ops for a Tampa Bay Rays rookie with 15 plate appearances in a postseason. Who is in between them? Longoria. Jonathan, That's a good guess. guess. Um, Kevin. In 2021, Kiermaier. Randy Rosarena is fourth, by the way. Former top 100 prospect. So it's not. Did not live Longoria. up to his billing, so it's not Longoria. Uh, Delman Young. Desmond Jennings. Wow. wow. Desmond Jennings in the 2011 uh, uh, division series wound up it's weird baseball references get goofy stat line on him but anyway uh in the 2011 postseason he went he had a 1244 ops and, and just in case you're wondering i'll not quiz you on this the only rookie with a perfect 4,000 ops in postseason history was the immortal jose don't call me george constanza of the 2012 <laughs> braves and I don't even remember Jose Constanza or his home run in his lone rookie postseason at bat. But he did have one of the greatest nicknames in, in baseball history. And Jim, did you did you actually answer the question? Where do you rank Wander Franco's postseason? Well, I, I would not put him on the top twenty. He doesn't make because, the top twenty because he didn't. I mean, it, it wasn't it's, enough. It, well, yeah, I was going to say you. It's both. You, you have a better opportunity, but it's a more difficult bar to clear now in this era of. Not, not even counting the wild card game of three rounds of playoffs, you know, you, you have the opportunity like a Rosarena going to world series last year, you hit 10 home runs, which may never get matched by a rookie. And he shattered all these rookie records because a lot of at bats, but if you don't go deep in the playoffs, it's hard to say that this was like a transcendent postseason. I mean, the, the 20th best postseason on my top 20 was Jacoby Ellsbury who put up a, he had an 1188 ops in the world series as the Red Sox won. So um, it, it's high bar, but like I, I did, I did kind of put him statistically in perspective, the 15th best postseason by a rookie hitter who had a, a decent amount of at bats. All right, so Stephen did not create additional work for Jim. Well, all. he did, but it was thanks to our our Stats Pass subscription. I was able to research it very quickly. So but that's that's a perfect kind of question, interesting, but did not require hours of research. This is and why we like Stephen so much. All right, guys, that is going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Extra special thanks to Spencer Torkelson for joining us. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.